Well, we want to welcome those that are new today. Um, this is an overcoming seminar, and we've been following day by day. This is normally done in a week, you know, and so we're kind of squishing it into a, a few days. But um, today we're talking about forgiveness. The reason we do it is because so many of our issues that we have in life are due to the fact that there's some issue way back where that we haven't dealt with that continues to creep up and it causes havoc in our lives and we may get into addictions and bad habits and different things because of that lack of forgiveness and so through the years of doing this we realize this is an important topic and so we make one day especially for that but in the beginning I'm going to be talking a little bit about the rest of the overcoming seminar and then Chad will come in and talk about the forgiveness. But before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for all the beautiful things um, that you are about and that you bestow to us, Lord. Father, I pray that we would realize that um, you want to continue to bless us with beautiful things. And it's not your plan. It was not in your plan for things that have happened to us in our lives, Lord, but you want to give us the gift of forgiveness so that we may move on and grow in your truth and in your glory and in your love towards you and towards one another. So I pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to be here just now so that we may accept that gift of forgiveness and impart it to others. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, to continue first with the Overcoming Seminar, uh, we always ask these questions. Uh, some people will try the fasting and, and such for the week or abstaining from whatever it is they're trying to overcome. And so we ask the question, how did it go? And from there, then we ask, did you have any slip-ups? People are like, oh, why are you asking me that? It's important, why? Because then you can ask yourself, what can I learn from that? right? It's, it's good to pick up and move forward, but don't just move forward and don't, you know, like, oh, who cares? I'll just go forward. But learn from that situation. Ask yourself questions like what? Did I get enough sleep? Have I been walking? Did I drink my water? Did I do the accurate breathing? Have I spent time with God? We've been hearing a lot about that, right, in this, in this uh, conference. Praise the Lord about how important it is to have that quality time with the Lord in the morning and throughout the day that we continue to abide with Him. Was I thinking about God when I slipped up? Was I in communion with Him? These are good questions to ask ourselves. And I don't mean that you become overly um, analytical of yourself, you know, where you discourage yourself and, oh, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a bit. But just a, a good reminder of move forward, but learn from your mistakes. Now, as far as the daily uh, fast, for the, for the fourth day, what you add is beans, nuts, and seeds. Okay, so that would be the fourth day of the fast. You start to add beans, nuts, and seeds. Yes? I just want to say that I'm a guy, I usually don't eat a lot of vegetables. Yesterday, I ate lots of vegetables. Oh, praise God. Amen. So, 
Thanks for the testimony. Yep. Veggies are good for us. God gave them to cleanse our blood. I mean, I eat them. It's just I don't eat them as much. As much as we should. And I, I'm guilty the same. I, uh, that's why I praise the Lord that we do this uh, seminar all the time because I'm reminded of the good things that God has given us. <laughs> um, but like I said, we want to learn about the foods we eat. And that way, when we're eating them, we feel really good about it. So here's something it's in Science Daily. It says, uh, musical fruit, a rich source of healthy antioxidants. Black beans are the highest. In addition to their high fiber and protein content, a new study finds that beans, particularly black ones, are a rich but overlooked source of antioxidants and may provide health benefits similar to some common fruits, including grapes, apples, and cranberries. The researchers tested the antioxidant activity of flavonoids, plant pigments, found in the skin of 12 common varieties of dry beans. Antioxidants destroy free radicals, which are highly active chemicals whose excess has been linked to heart disease, cancer, and aging. Black beans came out on top, having more antioxidant activity, gram for gram, than other beans, followed by red, brown, yellow, and white beans in that order. In general, darker colored seed coats were associated with higher levels of flavonoids and therefore higher antioxidant activity, says lead investigator. And we'll continue on. Um, what that's telling us is that we should have a rainbow of color in our diet, right? A lot of times we stick to a certain food that we like. We just keep eating it over and over. Uh, but it's important that you have a variety of foods so you're getting a variety of antioxidants and minerals and nutrition. So uh, it's good to have a variety in, with, throughout your day. Then Science Daily tells that when it comes to boosting antioxidant intake, recent research uh, indicates there's little benefit from taking diet supplements. A better way, according to a report in the September issue of Mayo Clinic Health Letter, is eating a diet rich in antioxidant-containing foods. Now, Mind you, when you are really deficient, there's nothing wrong with taking vitamins. I don't want anyone leaving thing, you know, Fadi says, no vitamins. Uh, when we're deficient, I know for myself when I'm deficient in something, uh, taking a vitamin really boosts it back up. And the same goes for my family. They've seen the same thing. They ha they're deficient in something, they take some vitamins, it goes back up. But your body is going to use it better if we start to learn to eat more of our veggies and things like that. Um, we'll just skip through here. It says here some of the uh, better food sources of antioxidants are berries, some beans and fruits, like blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, cranberries, on and on, uh, some nuts and herbs. You can see here it's, it's, um, antioxidants are found in a lot of things. Then we're going to switch modes here and we're going to talk about exercise because we need to be encouraged to get out and exercise. I know it's a little dif difficult here this weekend um, to get out, but whenever you get the opportunity, and this is a good uh, way of learning how to utilize your time well. The little time that you do have, instead of sitting and talking with someone, say, hey, you want to walk and talk, right? And just start thinking of ways that you can be more active because it's not just that little bit of exercise you get. It's about the activity you're doing all day long. Instead of taking the elevator, you take the stairs, you know, things like that. You have to think about it because we're sitting a lot more than people before us did, right? 
We sit a lot more today than people used to. Exercise improves cognitive functioning in young, in young people, old people, and everyone in between, says Dan Landers. Cognitive functioning refers to the mental processes, awareness, perception, reasoning, and judgment by which knowledge is acquired. So exercise improves thinking, right? The short-term effects of a bout of exercise lead one to focus and make fewer errors in decision-making. Isn't that awesome? So where do you do your decision-making? In the frontal lobe, right? So exercise actually helps improve the frontal lobe. Mind you, while you are exercising vigorously, your frontal lobe actually shuts down because the blood is going to other parts of the body. Slows down. I shouldn't say shut down, sorry. It slows down. But that's okay because some people tell us, um, yeah, I want to unwind when I get home from work, and so that's why I sit in front of the TV because I just want to veg out. I don't want to think because I've been thinking all day. Well, exercise is a good way of doing that. You don't do a lot of real deep thinking when you're doing vigorous exercise, but then afterwards, the amount of blood that goes to the frontal lobe is much better, and it's, it's um, more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. It just improves the function of your frontal lobe. It sharp enhances, thank you. So um, here's another thing, this is really neat. A number of studies in the, exercise, in the extensive review found that during and or following a bout of vigorous exercise, typically running or cycling for 20 minutes to an hour, subjects' performances on tests measuring executive control and what that is is the processes involved in achieving goals in a changing environment improve significantly when compared with pre-exercise scores. So let's say you work in an environment that there's constant demands and changes and, and um, it says that if you exercise you're more able to deal with those demands. So how many of us want to be more active? Amen. For our brain's sake, right? For our brain's sake. All right, not just for the heart's sake, but for the brain's sake. A decade ago, when neuroscientist Fred Gage of the Salk Institute made the discovery that the adult brain continues to regenerate, the brains in question belonged to mice. Some of the mice had been sedentary, others had been exercising, and the ones that logged the most miles on their wheels produced many more new neurons. Old science told us that you couldn't make more new neurons. What you were born with, you had, and that's it. New science is telling us that no, the mind regenerates and you can get more new neurons. And one good way is through exercise. This one's about humans. It says Richard Sloan revealed that after pounding the treadmill four times a week for an hour for 12 weeks, a group of previously inactive men and women ages 21 to 45 showed substantial increases in cerebral blood volume, a proxy for the growth of new neurons because where there are more cells, there are more blood vessels. Did you share about the people that were in that study? Um, there's a study about um, what were the ages 60 to, 60 to 79 who were sedentary, okay? And then they had them exercise three times walking, three times, three times a, week. a week for one hour. That's it. And they had measured, um, or they did like an MRI before and after. And after six months, their frontal lobe actually grew. Of these older people, how many of you fall under that category? 
Okay, one person in this group. So, hey, if 60 to 79 can, <laughs> can increase their, their uh, frontal lobe just by exercising more, how much more can a young person do, right? Isn't that powerful? God has given us these simple remedies. And I know people come to this program and they're like, I know this stuff. You know, this is like simple stuff that they're talking about, but it's just a good reminder, isn't it? And it's encouraging to see these simple remedies that God gave us are showing profound um, things in the studies today. Well, whenever we're um, wanting to make uh, a new direction in life, when we're trying to go forward, devil's right there to take us down, right? And a lot of times he uses discouragement to do that. He comes in and he can discourage you either through your friends or through your own thoughts or through circumstances, whatever. Uh, and, and he usually gets us in the same spot, doesn't he? So the question is, what can we do with discouragement? And it's so important to have a positive attitude. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 22, you know that uh, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but what does a broken spirit do? Dries your bones. Wow. What's in your bones? Marrow. marrow. And what is marrow? Blood. Your blood. It's your baby cells of who you are going to be, right? Those, ba those cells are produced in the bones. And it says that negative, down um, thoughts can dry up those bones, right? You ever wonder why we have so many autoimmune diseases today? Why is the body attacking itself? Who's telling it to attack itself? Could it be our own thoughts? Uh, you heard yesterday Chad talk about stress and what it does to the body and all the diseases that it causes. We're seeing more and more that this wise old saying that a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries your bones. It actually uh, inflicts disease on you just from the thoughts that you have, the, the negative, you know, beating yourself up thoughts. God doesn't want us to stay in that depressive mode. This is a really neat quote from Ministry of Healing, page 246. It says, the power of the will is not valued as it should be. Let the will be kept awake and rightly directed, and it will impart energy to the whole being and will be a wonderful aid in the maintenance of health. It is a power also in dealing with disease. Exercised in the right direction, it, the will, will control the imagination and be a potent means of resisting and overcoming disease of both mind and body. Wow, that's just from exercising the will, using the frontal lobe, right? Um, you'll have actually, like it says, a merry heart that's good like a medicine. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. I'm really encouraged by this whenever I get down. Um, God reminds me of what I'm worth. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. So we were bought with the price. And what price was that? The precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile way, ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I was bought with the price. So when the devil comes to you, you know, you're trying to go forward, 
And next thing you know, you slip up and you feel like what? He tells you, you're the same old person, you were faking it, and you might as well just stay down, and he discourages you, right? Well, you can remind him and say, you know what? Thank you for reminding me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? That, hello, what did Jesus come to this earth for, if not for one like me? But the devil makes you think, I don't know what he makes us think, that maybe Jesus didn't come for me in particular, right? But he did. Jesus came from e for each and every one of us. So when we're down, we need to realize that his blood covers us. But you know what we do a lot of times? We look at the sin and not the Savior, right? For example, uh, what was it in the wilderness when they were... When they were um, I want to say stung, but bit, when they were bit by the snakes, what happened? What did Moses do as a remedy? Right? He lifted up a serpent? How weird. And, and, then, and then he says to them, look and live, right? If you look at the serpent, you're going to live. And what did some people do? They didn't look. They didn't look. They just kept looking and like, oh, my bite, my bite, oh, I'm going to die, right? And then Jesus in the New Testament says, compares himself to, to that serpent, right? And he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Why is Jesus compared to a serpent? Exactly. Jesus became sin for us right? He became that serpent. That serpent represents sin. And Jesus took our sins upon him and he became sin for us. So mind you now, the serpent has bit us. He's caused a disease to come upon us. But Jesus says, look and live. So what I can do now is look at my sin in light of the cross instead of just at my sin. Because if I just keep looking and looking and looking at my sin, I get discouraged and there's no hope there. And that's where we get down and the devil kicks us and he says, look at you. You're the same old person. You're faking it. You, you, you think you're fooling other people, but you know who you are. And Jesus says, look and live. If you look at your sin in light of the cross, then it breaks your heart. You realize that lamb without blemish or spot became sin for me. And then that's where you get the victory. And that's why we're told to spend a thoughtful hour thinking about the life of Christ, right? Because that's our only hope. That's the only thing that will break these hardened hearts of ours. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. When you're discouraged, when the devil comes in, you tell him, thank you for reminding me that I'm a sinner that needs to turn to my Savior. And I'll do that just now. Thank you. Amen. Chad will come up now and talk about forgiveness. And Fadi shared it already, but by way of review, the reason we are sharing about forgiveness is because, you know, in this overcoming seminar, is that many times people are struggling with issues in life. Maybe it could even be depression. It could be an addiction, negative habits. It may not be a substance like alcohol, cigarettes, 
um, drugs, but it could be any kind of, you know, it could be overeating, it could be whatever, any kind of negative habit, some sinful thing. And many times it's because something happened in their past and they have maybe been holding on to lack of forgiveness. And so it's been destroying their, their life as a result of it. They've been living in the past. Now, what's fascinating about the word forgiveness in the Greek, in the language of the New Testament, the word in the Greek is aphiemi, which means the definition of, of forgive is to send, send forth, lay aside, or what? Let go. Let go. To, so to forgive means to let go of something that somebody has inflicted upon you. Does that make sense? So to forgive, I'll give you an example. I, we were doing a seminar somewhere, <laughs> I won't say where, and uh, actually, I mean, we've had it more than one time, but one particular time, this woman came to the seminar and she was, she shared with us, she said, you know, my family, they did this to me and this to me and this to me and this to me. And my, my sister did this to me and this to me and this to me and this to me. And, and as I was listening to this, after a while, I, I began to mention to this woman, I began to talk to her about forgiveness. And she said, oh, I've forgiven them. And they did this to me and this to me and this to me and this to me. Now, according to the definition of forgiveness, what did she actually not do? She hadn't let go of it, meaning she was living the rest of her life based upon a former experience of pain that was inflicted upon her. Does that make sense? We know as Christians, if you've gone to church, if you've read the Bible, you know that you should forgive. And many times we, someone hurts us and we say, oh, I forgive them. And we go over it and over it and over and we share our grievance story over and over and over and over. And then if someone says, have you forgiven? We say, oh, of course I've forgiven. Because in our minds, we say, we say it or we say it with our mouth. But have we actually let go of it? That's the question. What's that? Oh, we're still looking at the old billboards, right? Yeah, we gave the illustration of the devil uses billboards because they work. They get us to think about things bad or good and we need to have a billboard something better to, to you know to look at to keep our minds off of those things like the word of god right now anybody have a guess the very first time forgiveness is mentioned in the bible not the first time the principle is seen but the first time specifically the word is used obviously it took place before this but anybody have a guess it's in the book of genesis and it's a story of a dysfunctional family Close. Joseph. Did Joseph come from a dysfunctional family? Sometimes we don't think about it like that because they're the patriarchs, right? These are the patriarchs. These are the ones we look up to with such, you know, uh, I don't know, just, you know, we look back on their history with nostalgia and perfection. Oh, when, when men were men. But if, if you remember, uh, the brother of Joseph, was, was it Judah? who went and slept with his daughter-in-law because she was acting like a prostitute? That's a little dysfunctional, don't you think? <laughs> you think it'd be a little bit dysfunctional if your brothers grabbed you, threw you in a well, and then sold you into slavery? That's a little dysfunctional also, isn't it? We aren't the first generation to grow up with dysfunctional families. The beginning of the history of God's people they were a dysfunctional people, and God still worked through them. What's that? Cain and Abel, the second generation of humanity, murder, right? I mean, dysfunctional family. Adam and Eve had a dysfunctional family.
But think about Joseph for a minute. Let's go through his story for a moment. Joseph is, his brothers take him, they grab him, throw him in a pit, decide they're going to kill him, decide, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's sell him off to slavery. So they sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He works diligently. It must have been his character to no matter what the situation of life, to do his best. And so in this situation, Joseph is doing his absolute best and for Potiphar, his slave master. Now, just in my mind's eye, I imagine many wealthy men are very busy men. And so you can imagine Potiphar is probably away on business, whether it's just all day long working late hours or whether he'd go on, you know, long-term business trips. I don't know. But seemingly he's away from the house at this time. And you know, the Bible doesn't say that Potiphar's wife tried to lie with him one time. Did you know that? It wasn't one time. It was a repeated effort that she was putting upon this young man. And keep in mind, this might have been Joseph's only chance in life to be with a woman. Is that tempting, yes or no? That's very tempting. And Joseph in this situation, uh, regardless, he works diligently for his master and probably a you know, good-looking young Hebrew boy. And, and, uh, he, he, but this woman who grabs hold of him and says, you know, come lie with me, what ends up happening is he says, how can I sin against my God? And then so he tries to get away from her. He runs away from her, and she grabs hold of his outer cloak, and she takes it, and then she yells, rape. Who are you going to believe? the slave or the slave master's wife. It's pretty obvious. But if he was a slave and he tried to do that, what would they have probably done in Egypt? They would have killed him. It seems as if Potiphar probably didn't believe for a second that Joseph actually had tried to do this. It seems like Potiphar probably knew, I don't think he would do this or he would have had him killed. So because he cared for this man, but yet he couldn't, you know, couldn't hurt his wife like that, even if he knew she'd probably maybe done this before with somebody else, he, he couldn't do that, so he, he had him just thrown into jail. And then, we, then, then all of a sudden, we, we, our mind turns from there in the life of Potiphar, or Joseph rather, into the prison, and there's Joseph saying, my brothers did this to me, and this to me, and this to me, and this to me, and then I, I worked real hard, and they did this to me. And Is that what we see about Joseph while he's in prison? That's not the perspective Joseph that we see of Joseph in the scriptures. Joseph in prison is actually helping other people out. And then he's actually put in a position even in prison, right? I mean, this man, this young man is, is faithful in all of the difficult situations of life. Then what happened? He finally, Joseph went from the pit to the prison, to the palace. He was lifted up to a higher position because he was faithful to the one who had called him. Joseph was faithful to his heavenly father. And then you remember what happened. While he was in the palace, his brothers came to him and he didn't look like himself. And he, uh, his brothers who had abused him, had they abused him? Yeah throwing your brother into a pit, making him think you're going to kill him. That's a form of abuse, whether it's mental or whether they hurt him physically in the, process, in the process. He was abused. Yet when they finally came to him, what did Joseph in the end do? The first time forgiveness is mentioned is in the context of a dysfunctional family. 
and a man. Now, did the brothers deserve forgiveness? Yes or no? They didn't deserve forgiveness, nor do we deserve forgiveness. But forgiveness is something that is given not because we deserve it, but rather because of the love of God that he has for us. And we ought to reciprocate that love to the people around us, right? So forgiveness, Joseph, the first time it happens in, is in the context of a dysfunctional family. And Joseph was very different than many of us might be today. But God wants to make us, he wants to give us the character of Joseph. Now notice this, this is taken from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 115. The one thing essential for us in order that we may receive and impart the forgiving love of God is to know and believe the love that he has to us. So the one thing essential for us to receive forgiveness and to give it to other people is to first recognize the love and the forgiveness that God is willing to give to us. So if we recognize how forgiving God is and we look to him by looking at him and thinking about him, our thoughts will change our actions, right? When we think about him, it changes us. And we need to be thinking about him because our natural heart is to not be forgiving. Maybe to hold it in, maybe to act like we've forgiven, right? Or at least many people. Some people just have the Lord's bless them with forgiving hearts. But many of us, that's not so much the case. And sometimes we think, well, I'm not very forgiving, so maybe God wouldn't be very forgiving either. And we have that Psalm 50 verse 21 that says, You thought that I was one like yourself. You thought that I was just like you. But now I will rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Sometimes we think God's just like us. If I'm unforgiving, I think maybe that's how God would be. This is sometimes our perspective. But I want you to think about this. Sometimes when, when we get into, to be honest, this is the most, you know, we go through science, we go through health, and the rest of it, Fadi, you just touched on science and health before we get into this. This is a heavy message because it really comes home personally. Many people are struggling with lack of forgiveness. And sometimes when they think... It, is God really asking me for, to forgive? Chad, are you saying we need to forgive? And we think if we forgive, it shows a weakness on our part. It shows a weakness in my character if I'm willing to forgive. I should, I'm holding on to my anger and that shows that I'm strong. But we're going to ask the question, is it the weak or the strong who forgive? Notice this quote here from Testimonies. The strongest man is he who, while sensitive to abuse, that means who feels pain when people abuse him, maybe physically, uh, mentally, you know, whatever way. So he senses, he feels the pain when somebody hurts him. But the strongest man is he who, while sensitive to abuse, will yet restrain his passion and forgive his enemies. Such men are what? true heroes. Such men are true heroes. So is it the weak or the strong who forgive? It's the strong. Listen, who is the strongest being in the universe? God. And does, is he willing to forgive, yes or no? And so must forgiveness be an attribute of strength? Yes. Do you have a question? Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Does anyone here own a Mazda CX-3 by the I think it's a silver one. I forgot to mention that. Anybody have a silver Mazda? It needs to be moved. If you're embarrassed, you can run out anyway, all right? <laughs> but it's okay. All right, maybe not here, maybe somewhere else. 
So forgiveness is a, is a characteristic of strength. Now, we don't always have that strength to forgive. We need the strength from another source. I'm going to tell you a true story about a guy that was called Wild Bill, not the one of Wild West fame. But this Wild Bill was a man who was in a concentration camp in Europe. True story. Um, during World War II. The Nazis had come into his town, and this particular man, he knew German very, very well. He spoke German well. And they grabbed his family, and they, uh, they pulled him out into the street, and they started at his children, and they, they shot his first child, his second child, his third child, came to his wife. They shot her right in front of him. Then they came to him to shoot him, and he began to speak to them in German. And when he, they saw that he spoke German so well, they said, oh, he has fantastic German. Why don't we just throw him in the concentration camp? He can work for us. So then he was, Bill was thrown into the concentration camp. In the concentration camp, he worked hard. He was diligent. That he seemed to have a positive attitude. And the other, other uh, I don't know, inmates or whatever you would call the people in a concentration camp, the other people within this camp, they were looking at Bill and they're thinking, what, why is he so different? What's going on with Bill? He seems different. It seems like he must not have been in here as long as the rest of us. And so somebody, somebody finally came and they asked Bill. They said, what's different about you? And they discovered that Bill had been in there just as long as just about any of the rest of them. He had been eating the same starvation ration diet as most of the rest of them. And he said, you know, he began to tell them his story. He said, you know, before coming into here, I was a lawyer. And then he shared with them the story of how they dragged him out of his house and they one by one shot each one of his family members, killed his wife, the people in this world that he loved the most. And he said, coming from the background of a lawyer, he said, I have seen, I have seen what lack of forgiveness can do to destroy a human being. I've seen what happens. And he said, so when they killed my family, I knew I had a decision to make, would I forgive? And he said, you know, for me, the decision was very simple, actually. I knew I had to forgive. And the Lord gave this bill the strength to forgive. The fact that he was, think about this. It's not like the war had ended and he was now living in bliss and now he could forgive. He was still being persecuted. And in the midst of the persecution, he was still, by the strength of God, able to forgive the people who were persecuting him. So notice he didn't wait and say, you know, when the war gets over and, you know, maybe some war trials and, and they, they come and ask for forgiveness, then I'll forgive. He was forgiving while it was happening. God can give us the very same heart. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said these amazing words. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught or if you have anything against another. That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. We were sitting with a young man, actually here in California. He was a part of a gang, one of the roughest gangs in California. He was a tough young man. He, long story short, I mean, he had spent time in jail, but his, his father had not his father, his mother had married a man that had abused he and his brothers in every way you can imagine. And as they started getting older, the man stabbed and killed his brother 
and he stabbed, he, you know, he pulled up his shirt to show us and you could see the scar from where he had also been stabbed by this man. And this was a tough gang member. And he in front of us began to cry as we went over this verse and he said, is God saying that I have to forgive this man? He told us when they let this man out of jail that the other gang members were just, they were probably just going to kill him, you know. Not this young man. I don't think he had any desire. The Lord was changing. It was amazing how the Lord was changing this young man's heart. But the reality is we go through trials. And Jesus says, sometimes we look at this passage where Jesus says that we have to forgive or he's not willing to forgive us. And we think God is being mean to us. But the reality is when we hold in anger and lack of forgiveness, who is it hurting the most? It's hurting me if I hold on to that. Does that make sense? God wants to free us from this. God wants to give us the victory. Jesus said that he would set us free, right? And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. God wants to give us victory over this. Now notice this here from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing again. It says, we are to have a spirit of compassion toward those who have trans trespassed against us, whether or not they confess their faults. However sorely they may have wounded us, we are not to cherish our grievances. Sometimes when you read these things, you mean cherish our grievances. You know this grievance story, this lady that told the story over and over and over and over and over. What does it mean to cherish? Well, the definition of the word cherish is to protect and care for lovingly. Could it be that we have gotten to the point where we, we live in the pain of the past, the abuse that has taken place in the past, and we go over it and over it and over it, and in essence, we're protecting and caring for it lovingly. I don't see that, say this to put anybody down, but maybe we haven't thought about it that way. Maybe we haven't really thought it through, and, and we recognize, I am living a life based upon a former experience. And because of this abuse that it has shaped my life to this day, and Jesus says, I want to set you free from that. I have a better plan for your life. I have, the Bible tells us right in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. God tells us, he tells us that he has a future and a hope for us, Right? He has a future. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think of you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. The King James says to give you an expected end. Some of the newer translations say to give you a future and a hope. God says, I have plans for you. I love you. My thoughts towards you are not thoughts of evil, but they are thoughts of peace. I want to give you a future and a hope. I don't want you to live based upon these past experiences. I don't want it to ruin the rest of your life. Two people go through the very same trial. One is abused in filthy ways as a child. And I'm being careful with my wording and all of us adults understand. Another person goes through the very same thing as a child. They are abused in filthy ways. The abuser normally tells the child, you wanted this, this is your fault. Which is a, a filthy lie. Abusers are amazing manipulators. Those two young people went through the very same situation. One of them grows up and perpetuates the same thing on a future generation. The other person goes on and helps other people who've gone through the same thing. Do you see? It's not what you've been dealt with in life, but it's what you do with what you've been dealt with. Does that make sense? 
And even if you've been that person who's done the same thing, God can change you. Amen? Amen. God can give ultimate victory in this life. And he wants us to not cherish the grievance of the past, not to go over it and over it, but through his word, we can turn away from it and turn to something better. We can turn to Jesus Christ. Most people in, in that my wife and I have worked with who have chosen a certain lifestyle have been abused as children, most every one of them. But God can still give the victory. It is not about what happened in the past. It is what we choose to do with the present that changes our future. Jesus can give the ultimate victory to all of us, to all of us. The quote goes on to say, we are not to cherish our grievances and sympathize with who? Ourselves. We're not to sympathize with ourselves over our injuries, but as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil to us. So we should pardon all who have hurt us. God wants to give us the victory. Now we're just talking about the nuts and bolts of it, but we're going to actually ask how to do this. It says, We are not to dishonor God by the mournful relation of trials that appear grievous. All trials that are received as educators will produce joy. All trials produce joy. What? All trials that are received as educators. So that terrible situation of your past... What? That could somehow produce joy? That sounds almost unreal, doesn't it? But it can do exactly that. Not that it was a good thing. It was a terrible thing that happened. But God can turn it around to become a blessing to somebody else. God can use the hell you've been through to bring heaven to somebody else. What is, what we're going to ask the question before we go into what forgiveness is, is what forgiveness is not, or how to forgive. But first we need to ask what forgiveness, what is not forgiveness? Kind of a strange way of wording. But number one, forgiveness is not based on finding some redeeming quality that makes a person worth forgiving. Imagine a young lady is running through the hills of California, and as she's running through, a man grabs her, brings her back into the woods, uses her, and runs off, and she never sees him again. Can that young lady find some redeeming quality about that guy to make him worth forgiving? Yes or no? She knows nothing good about him. But God can give the victory to forgive. So it's not about based on finding some redeeming quality. Number two, forgiveness does not require that a person minimize the validity of his pain, the amount of pain he suffered, or the importance of a painful experience. And the next one goes right along with it. To forgive does not mean that a person is saying, that did not matter. Or this was not a huge wrong committed against me. Forgiving someone isn't saying, many, is, is not saying, oh, that, you know, that, that wasn't wrong. No, it was still wrong what you did. But I forgive you. When God forgives us, he's not saying, that's okay what you did to me. But he is forgiving us out of the love of his heart. And that goes along with this one. Forgiveness does not mean letting a person off the hook so that no justice is required. Sometimes people still have to suffer the consequence of what they have done, right? They may have to go to jail as a result of it, but by God's grace, we can still forgive them. And forgiveness is not forgive and forget. You know how we say, oh, forgive and forget. Do you literally forget the terrible thing that's happened to you? No, I mean, if something terrible has, been happen has happened to you, I'll, I'll give you an example of my life. This isn't as bad as some people have gone through, but... Uh, I, I one time, I was a punk, I was a real jerk back before I was converted, and uh, I, I got in a fight with a couple of guys. And these guys, these two guys, beat the living tar out of me. 
Meaning they beat me to the ground. Uh, actually, long, I won't go into the whole, the whole details of it all, but basically, these guys beat the junk out of me. And when I used to think about it, it used to make me angry. I, I would lie in bed at night and I would, you know, kind of see it all over again. I'd kind of repeat it and I would try to think, oh, if I would have done this or that or, uh, you know, but the reality is it happened. And then after I gave my life to the Lord, have I forgotten that that happened? Obviously, I haven't forgotten. I just told you the story. But now when I think about it, I have about the same emotions as if we were talking about the weather outside. So it's not that I've forgotten it, but my wife calls it, I have emotional amnesia. Does that make sense? So not that we will forget the evil that someone has done to us, but rather we will let it go in essence. Does that make sense? And I don't tell that story to everybody just to tell the story. I say it in the context of forgiveness, right? And so God can give us the victory. He can give us not amnesia that we fully forget, but rather emotional amnesia that he strengthens us to overcome in their, that area of life. Now, forgiveness does not take two people. Reconciliation takes two people. If someone's abused you, you can't, it's not necessarily up to you always to reconcile with them. You can't always make it right. Maybe somebody's died and you can't reconcile with them. I mean, if we can reconcile, that's wonderful, but it can't always happen. Some people aren't willing to be reconciled too, but we can still forgive regardless. Now we're going to talk about how to forgive. How to forgive and truly move on in life. Number one, you have to admit that you have been hurt. Many times I've seen people who have been abused or hurt, and it doesn't just have to be abuse. It could be just somebody in church didn't like your hair. And some people literally, those kind of things, they'll hold out for the rest of their life, and they'll go over and over and over. And I'm, I'm not trying to diminish something. I guess I am a little bit. But sometimes we hold on to quite minuscule things, and they ruin our life for the rest of our life, right? Others who have gone through genuinely horrendous things, and they also hold on to it. But God can give the victory in either of the two cases, right? Or anywhere in between. So, number one, you have to admit that you've been hurt. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm okay. Say, yeah, I'm all right. I'm fine. And they've never really dealt with it. Never really accepted, yes, I admit this has caused me pain. It says, don't deny that you've experienced mental or physical or emotional pain as a result of the incident. Number one admit it and admit it to God right you don't necessarily have to bring it to a human but you can bring it to God personally you know I want you to think about this very quickly have you ever felt guilty obviously we all have right because of sin we've all felt guilty at different times in our lives right did Jesus ever feel guilty for sin not his own sin but he felt every ounce of guilt of your sin and mine. He knows what it's like to feel guilty. And Jesus took all of that sin upon himself on the cross. And sometimes when, when we're trying to, uh, you know, f- be forgiven of God, we forget that how many sins did he take of ours to the cross? Did he forget a few, like a few that are just really, really bad? He, he forgot to take that one to the cross. No, but we can remember that no matter what we have done, when we come to him and asking for forgiveness, we can remember that he already took that to the cross. And when we, when we confess, when we repent and ask for forgiveness, he is willing to, to give us that forgiveness. Now, so number one, we have to accept that we have experienced pain, you know, legitimate pain. Number two, we need, or we need to admit, number one, accept, number two, God's personal forgiveness in our own life. The Bible says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our 
debtors. So we need to accept God's personal forgiveness in our own life. We saw that earlier. Number three, we need to release the hurtful party into the hands of God. And this, this goes along with number four. We need to release the hurtful party into the hands of God. And number four says, we need to ask the Lord to help you forgive and release the negative emotions. What somebody has done to you may have destroyed your life up until this point. But when we come to God asking that he will help us to forgive, maybe you don't even want to forgive. You're so angry with the individual that you say, I don't even want to forgive them. I don't want to forgive this individual. But we can come to God and say, God, I don't want to forgive this person, but I want, to, I want you to give me a heart that's even willing to forgive. And I need your strength. Father, this person hurt me. It's destroyed my life up to this point. I want forgiveness. I want to be able to have the spirit of forgiveness. I pray that you will give me that strength, that you will change me. And God can give you that forgiveness. He can give you the strength. And he can give you that emotional amnesia. You know, uh, sometimes we also have to learn to forgive ourselves, right? First John 1 verse 9, we have to remember that God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we remember that Jesus did bring our sin to the cross. I'm going to give you an illustration but it's a living illustration because it's a true story. Mark Finley went and he, he went over to uh, Rwanda. And you may remember that in 1994, some of you are probably quite young, but in 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda. They were hacking people to death with machetes. Over the course of about 100 days, I believe about a million people were hacked to death. There were the two tribes, the Hutu and the Tutsis. And in this massacre that took place, this is a true story, this woman, uh, they came to her and her husband. She was, he was an Adventist pastor. She was an Adventist pastor's wife, obviously. And they came to her husband with the machetes, and they began to hack him to death right in front of her. He dropped to the ground, and he died right there. After hacking him, they went directly to her, and they began to do the very same thing to her. And after cutting her and cutting her and cutting her, she dropped to the ground in a pool of her own blood and lie unconscious for three days. Three days she lie unconscious. They, they left her for dead, figuring she was dead. After three days, somehow, some way, she came to. And she, oh, you can imagine, over a process of time, she found, uh, you know, she, she healed from this situation. And what ended up happening was, when she finally healed, you can imagine, probably after months and months of, you know, surgery and recuperation and so forth, uh, finally, after she was finally healed, many of the people who had done this atrocity were thrown into the prison system. And she, being a faithful Adventist, she decided to go give Bible studies to the people in prison. And while she was in the prison one day, you know, she was there to give Bible studies and to help the people that were there. And she, she came in one day, and at the same time, this, uh, this young man walked into the room and his eyes met her and her eyes met him. And when they looked at each other, both of them knew. He knew, this is the woman. I, tried, I killed her husband and I tried to kill her. And she knew, this is the young man who tried to murder me. This young man dropped to his knees and he began to plead with her for forgiveness. What would you do? She not only forgave the young man, she 
began to give him Bible studies, and he gave his life to the Lord. After that, when he got out of prison, she adopted him as her son. Can you think of a greater story of forgiveness other than the story of Jesus Christ? You know what the strange thought is? Who's guilty for killing the Son of God? Well, you could say Satan, but he didn't, he, I don't think he died for Satan's sins. Maybe he did, I don't know, but he died for whose sins? He died for our sins. Jesus died because of the sins that Chad Cruiser committed. Though he may have done it just for me and he did it for the sins of the world. But then his father, the one we have transgressed against and in essence killed his son, the father says that he wants to adopt us as his children. Does that make sense? God loves us and he is willing to forgive us. This is, God can give you the victory just as he gave this woman the victory. I want you to think about it just now. Is there something in your life that God is... Is there somebody in your life that God is calling you to forgive just now? Jesus does not want you to go on for the rest of your life. He doesn't want your future to be shaped by a past painful experience that destroys the rest of your life. He wants to give you ultimate victory. Something terrible may have happened. God didn't want that to happen. It wasn't God's will for that to happen. We live in a world of sin and suffering and satanic power. God didn't want that to happen, but he can turn that around and he can work it together for good. What happened was not good, but God can bring all things together for good to those who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Is there somebody in your life that Jesus is calling you to forgive just now? I'm going to ask you right now. You don't have to tell anybody who it is. We don't need to know. But maybe there's someone right now who realizes in this room, God is calling me to forgive. I had to go through it my very own self. In more than one area of life, I can look back and I knew there were, there were issues that I didn't even realize that I was really, I could say I had forgiven, but I had not let go of them. Is there somebody in your life that God is calling you just today to say, Jesus, I want victory. I want your divine strength because I don't have the strength. I want to be able to forgive and I'm asking you, Jesus, to give me the strength to forgive. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head just now. While all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. I want you to be thinking, is God calling you to let go? Remember the word forgive means to lay aside, send forth, let go. Is somebody here, while all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, would somebody like to say by the raising of their hand, Jesus, I need your strength to be able to forgive this person or these people who have hurt me? Is there someone who wants to raise their hand just now and say that? God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand there. God bless you. God bless you. Is there someone else who, by the raising of their hands, wants to say, Jesus, I need your strength to forgive. I want to break free from the pain of my past. And I want to raise my hand. And Jesus, I want you to lift up my hand. And I want you to give me strength to be transformed. Is there one more person? God bless you there, brother. 
God bless you, sister. Is there one more person who would like to raise their hand and say, Jesus, I know that I need victory over this. I don't want this to control the rest of my days, but I want you to control the rest of my days and give me victory to become like Jesus. Is there just one more? God bless you, sister. God bless you. Heavenly Father, many have raised their hands this morning saying, I, I need victory from you. Father, there may be someone here whose heart is so desperately heavy that they couldn't even raise their hand. And I thank you that you are a Savior who reads the heart and not just our hand signals. That, Father, for all those who've raised their hand, I pray that you would give them the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As your word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, with, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Father, that you are the one who makes us to triumph always when we trust wholeheartedly and believe in you. And as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So it is only by trusting in you, Father. Father, I pray that you would give us the victory for those all who have raised their hand and for those who couldn't because their heart was so heavy that they couldn't even get to the point to, to raise their hand. I pray that you'd give them the victory also, Father. You don't give up on us when we are too weak to even respond. For it is you which work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure, as Philippians 2, 12 and 13 say. Father, change us, I pray. Give us the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just before we go off to the break, please sit just for one moment. This quote here is hope for us. And you, you might wonder, Chad, does that contradict what you just taught? It doesn't. Brethren, Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended this one thing, I, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Paul says, I've forgotten those things that have happened in the past. Now, was Paul ever abused, yes or no? Yes. He was beaten with rods. He was uh, stoned. He was, I mean, the guy went through a, a living hell, right, in certain situations. And, but then he says, I forgot about them. But did he actually forget about them, yes or no? no. Why, why do we know he didn't actually totally forgot it happened? Because he, he wrote about it, right? So he didn't forget about it. But he, he forgot about it in the sense of he wasn't living, it wasn't changing his future in a negative way, you see? So he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, God has a plan, and his plan is so much better than being held down by the pain of the past. Jesus wants to give you ultimate victory. And if you trust by faith, he promises that he will give the victory. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.